Hello and welcome to The Neighbor Next Door, a podcast about the power and importance of neighboring. I'm your host, Matthew Johnson, and as usual, I am joined on the front porch, although we are six feet apart, I am joined by my colleague and neighboring, Adam Barlow-Thompson. Hey, good neighbors. I hope that you are enjoying our series here that we're doing of episodes from John McKnight. Uh, If you didn't get the first Part of this, go back to the last episode. This is part of a, a really long conversation we had with John McKnight, who's one of the founders of asset-based community development. And we're going to jump into that interview again for this next episode. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to want to have that background because uh, he was at the conclusion of the first episode, he was partway through these, these five categories. And, uh, He's just going to be jumping right in with the third category. So if you don't hear that first episode, uh, it will be probably very confusing. And also that first episode was fantastic. So there's that too. Yes, you want to catch that too. All right, so we'll (laughs) jump in here and uh, listen for the third category of assets uh, from John McKnight. third one is institutions. Associations are smaller face-to-face groups where the members do the work and they're not paid. An institution is groups of people to, who get together to do something and they are paid, right? Mm-hmm. And they are also most commonly in uh, Western society organized not in a circle like an association is, but they're organized in a triangle, right? With Mm. with one box at the top, two boxes underneath that, four under that, eight under that, 16. You can see it's an organization chart, right? Mm -hmm. So an institution is a hierarchy. An association is a circle of relationships. Hmm. Institutions are another asset in the neighborhood. If, this is a big if, they see themselves as the supporters of the productivity of neighbors. Hmm. You know, one of the things about institutional people is they use a funny word. They say, I'm a public servant. I'm involved in providing mm. uh, health services, right? Mm-hmm. We have services for the elderly. So the whole not-for-profit sector defines itself by the word servant. Mm. And Yet, in most places, they act like lords, mm-hmm. right? Cities coming in here tell, telling me what to do, uh, what I can't do. The agencies are coming in here and telling me how screwed up I am and how much they can fix me. And you know, mm-hmm. That's not a servant. So, 
if an institution is in a neighborhood and what it does is support the empowerment of local people, then they are an asset as well. So in my little hometown, the city owned that land where the vacant lot. So they said, we'll give it to you for a dollar if you make a dog park. So they supported us. They didn't replace us. Mm. And so that's the critical question for people in health, human service, government, is how can you support citizen productivity? tell you a story <laughs> <laughs> yes I uh, I used to go to the annual Canadian convention of community development organizations and one time when I was at that gathering the guy uh, Lance Evoy who had organized the whole thing from a university in Montreal he said to me, you see that the middle-aged guy over there? He's the best community developer in all of Canada. You ought to go over and meet him. So I went over and met him, and it turns out that he was the mayor of a little town in French Canada up, up in the Gaspé Peninsula where it's hilly, and uh, the towns are small. Uh, and... Uh, his name was Gaston Roost, or is still. And uh, I, I really liked him. I talked to him, and he said, why don't you come to my town, spend a day or two? Yes. And I said, okay, I had you know, a little time after conference. So I went with him to a town. Now, it's a little difficult for me to deal in town because everybody spoke French. Mm -hmm. didn't speak any English at all. Okay. <laughs> Canada, Quebec. <laughs> so I, this, I got interpreted from Gaston, who spoke sort of broken English, I suppose one might say. Okay. At any rate, I'm with him. We, he takes me to the city hall. This is a town of about 6,000 people up in the mountains. And the big thing it has is, and a big tourist draw, is Atlantic salmon. Atlantic salmon come up from the Atlantic Ocean up into these, these mountains and spawn and then go back. Hmm. And so it's a big thing for people to catch Atlantic salmon. The licenses, I think, are $100 a license to do it. But it drew all kinds of, of people who really wanted to do top of the line fishing, right? So we're walking out the door, and uh, two guys walk up to him. And uh, uh, they say, uh, Gaston, um, you know, we have a net up above town to keep the salmon from going on up the river so that they'll be in the river around us so the fishermen can catch them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
And somebody's been going in there and cut that net and it's let the fish out and then they go on up and poach them. So they're stealing our, our salmon and it's hurting the economy. And Gaston looks at him and says, boy, that's terrible. What do you think could be done about that? And uh, they say, well, you could do this or you could do that. And uh, so they have three possibilities. And he says, uh, do you know anybody else in town who'd like to uh, do something about that? And they say, yeah, a lot of people are worried about that. He said, listen, tonight at 7 o'clock, why don't you come to City Hall and uh, bring, bring these other people that you know. So I go with them to City Hall after we had dinner, and there are about nine people there. They brought seven more. And the mayor sits there and says, uh, well, why don't you talk about the things that can be done? And then he says, uh, now who do you think can do those things? Right. Mm -hmm. And they begin to look at what they have to offer and they put them together so that they can do something about the net breaking. Yes. And when they're done, Gaston has basically asked two questions. What can be done and who do you know can do it? Yes. And he says to them, two things then. He says, you know, you may run into something that the city could help with. And if you do, let us know. And secondly, he said, I want you to know that I am making you as mayor the official Salmon Preservation Committee for the city of Amqui. Mm -hmm. I do not want you just meeting any place. I want you to meet here in the city council chambers because you're official. Hmm. And he said, I want you, we, the council meets every month. I want you to come and tell them all the good things that you've done every month until the problem solved, right? And they all feel, you can just see, they all feel good because what the mayor did was say, you're official. <laughs> right? yep. you, you are the producers of this community. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yes. And, and that just changed everything I could see in terms of who they thought they were. They walked up out with their chests out <laughs> because he didn't do anything but connect them right? and officialize them. <laughs> but without him, nothing would have happened. Right. So that's, that's an institutional leader performing the kind of function 
that we found in neighborhoods makes a significant difference, right? Mm. Yeah. And uh, incidentally, the, the uh, Lancey Boyd, the guy who brings all these organizations from Canada together every year, <laughs> he told me, he said, you know, He's got 6,000 people in that town. And he says half of them are children. So he's got about 3,000 adults. Just every one of them is an official. (laughs) 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 He has converted the come and bitch and moan in front of me. I'll hit you. Almost every other public official has into, (laughs) you know, how can I connect you (laughs) and how can I support you and how can I recognize you for what you are, the producers of Amqui. fourth one is the ecos, the the land, the environment, the place itself. Vacant buildings can be made into community centers or, you know, or vacant lots that can be made into uh, community gardens or all kinds of other things that look like they're useless that can become useful if you see them as an asset rather than a problem. Mm. So the physical environment and its maintenance and preservation is the ecological task that grows from associational work that understands that the neighborhood is an ecology. Mm. And the last one is uh, not, the first four are tangible you could map them you can say that they are someplace on a on a map but the fifth isn't uh in that sense the fifth is that in all these stories people were exchanging things sometimes they were uh giving things sometimes they were sharing things sometimes bartering things sometimes trading things sometimes buying things, sometimes selling things. And that exchange was going on all throughout the other four assets, Mm. which is to say that exchange is a way of talking about connecting things, right? So the final thing I can report on those five assets is that Three things have to happen for an asset-based local development. The first is you've got to know the assets are there. You've got to know you're living in a garden. <laughs> yes. And the second thing is you've got to have those assets connected if they are to become productive. The people with dogs have to be connected right, in order for, for you to have a dog park. Mm. And the third thing is that by and large, connecting doesn't happen unless somebody or buddies or group 
recognize that and do connecting work. Hmm. Now, on my block, I'm not telling you where it is. <laughs> <laughs> Three doors down from me is a woman who is uh, divorced. And if you ask anybody here on the block, they'd say she's a busybody. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. They're not saying it too kindly. <laughs> <laughs> but I've watched her over all these years. And she's the only person on the block who brings people together. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Why? Because she knows everybody. Because she's a busy body. <laughs> yes. and she can see possibilities working on shit. <laughs> so, I would say there is one example of a local connector. Mm-hmm. So, there are connectors that, that may not be called busybodies in every block. And there was a little group in Edmonton, Canada, that uh, decided that this idea of connecting neighbors was a pretty important thing. Mm-hmm. And so about eight or nine years ago, on the one block, one guy who had this idea in the first place began to go door to door, talk to his neighbors, and find out what they had to offer, what they wanted to share, and began to connect them. Hmm. And it just grew like a root structure. That's <laughs> 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 by roots like blackberries, right? <laughs> <laughs> <Yep>. Next block, <laughs> saw what was happening, and somebody from there said, I want to do that. They came over and evening learned it. And at, at any rate, it became something that was happening on more and more blocks, which the block people in a block wanted to do, and they would learn from the people who had done it. Hmm. And uh, there are 115 neighborhoods in Edmonton. Uh, Edmonton's a city of about a million people. And uh, they have now a, a connector, a designated connector or two or three on every block in about half the city. Now they have planned another three, four years. Every block will have a connector. And as this got going, uh, the elected officials began to see that their neighborhoods were coming alive. Hmm. The people weren't just bitching and moaning to them about what are you doing for us, needy mm-hmm. people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. But, but they wanted some support to do the things that they were doing, right? Mm-hmm. And so this, the city, this may be fatal, <laughs> but the city hired the guy who started the thing in the first place. <laughs> Made him a director of neighborhoods <laughs> and gave him a staff of four. <laughs> right? Wow. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's the one place in the world that I know of where, on a pretty systematic basis, 
every single block is viewed as a collection of assets. Mm-hmm. And the activator needs to be a person on that block with some commitments and some skills. And maybe there are two and maybe there are three. Mm-hmm. And you can make more connections among, among people if you have four blocks rather than one. Because if, if on one block you get 120 different things from people or 100, on four blocks you get 400. Mm. <laughs> and so the number of matches and the number of people you can put together grows and grows in that way. So they do tend to share their information. Mm in the immediate area uh, so that uh, maybe they would find that on one of the blocks there is a person who collects stamps. Nobody else does. But in the four blocks, three other people collect stamps. Mm. Now you can put them together. Right. So there is some scale that helps in uh, making connections because, once again, of the diversity. There is a town in Canada, again, called Prince George, where they decided to try to identify all the associations in town. They got the junior college to help this little group of citizens who activate the associations. And uh, they found 90,000 people in Prince George, and they found about 1,012 associations. And they put out each year a book it's about uh, oh inch thick. <laughs> wow! Every, every association and uh, when they meet, what they do, and who the officers are, and how you can get in touch with them, right? Now, what this revealed to us is, if you look at that, and uh, if if uh, if I were talking to anybody who is listening to this, mm-hmm. I could say to them. They live in Prince George. What are you interested in? Mm. Mm. And there isn't a thing that person would tell me that there is an association I could connect them to. (laughs) Right. Yes. Associations are affinity groups, by and large, of people who care about each other or something. (laughs) And on the first page, under A, right, there's one that, that called the Anti-Gravity Society. <laughs> and it isn't hard to find out because it describes what they do and, you know, who's the chair and how to get in touch with them. And the Anti-Gravity Society is an association of jugglers. <laughs> jugglers always working against... Gravity's trying to pull it down. He's trying to push it up. But it's like that. There's just nothing that people 
are interested in, that there aren't associations of interest that are hmm. there already in a in a place of, of of some scale. Yes. And I say that because why are there that many of them? And that is going back to an earlier question. Most people in cities don't feel very powerful. Mm. I'm one of 90,000 people. On the other hand, if I am this year's chairman of the dog park committee, right? Mm -hmm. I'm somebody. And the reason that people come together is because it lifts their meaning to themselves and makes them feel, I have a group of people and we can do something. Yeah. Not just sitting here where the only thing we can do is every four years go into a booth and mark a ballot. <laughs> yes. And that's, you know, we talk about that being the key to citizenship. That's what makes you powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, in every election, everybody who vote for, voted for the loser was disempowered. Oh. Mm -hmm. Wow. The minority is always disempowered in that election. Mm -hmm. So Tocqueville uh, was a brilliant early sociologist, a Frenchman. And uh, he, he said, voting is the power to give your power away. Whoa. If you're in the majority. Mm -hmm. But associations are the way that you make power rather than give it away. So that, I think, why this question of these assets with associations at the center, made as the magnifiers of the gifts of citizens, right? Bill said, in the United States, associations, right, are the key to the society's effectiveness. Mm. And uh, they're still there but we don't see them. And so one of the big pieces of work that we've been working with groups on forever is to identify the associations and begin to see them as more important than City Hall, than the hospital, than the court, than the agency role, right? Mm. And that's what Tocqueville understood. And the name of his book, reporting this, is Democracy in America. Mm. And he said what made democracy in America different was that in Europe they thought democracy was voting. 
mm-hmm. a majority able to give their power away. <laughs> yes. But in, in North America, there was really uh, a different way for society to act. And that was that they had vehicles for people to make power, right? Mm. So I think of the ABCD movement as basically about politics. Mm. It is about making visible the empowerment vehicles for people in North America. Well, thank you for listening to this episode with John McKnight. This podcast is a production of The Neighboring Movement. Uh, You can learn more about our work by visiting our website, www.neighboringmovement.org. And we would love to hear from you. If you have thoughts about this podcast or any of our other episodes, feel free to email me, matt, at neighboringmovement.org. The music that you hear in the background is provided by Brutal Bear. And all of the fantastic editing work done on this podcast is done by Christopher Swanson. I think that's it for this time. So until next time, happy neighboring. Happy neighboring. Thank you.